Hello, everyone, and welcome to For the Good of the Game, a unique football podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills as shared personally by NFL alumni. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Good of the Game. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of interviewing Jeff Kemp, former NFL quarterback. Jeff played high school football at Winston Churchill High School in Potomac, Maryland, followed by a college career at Dartmouth in the Ivy League. Out of Dartmouth, Jeff signed with the Los Angeles Rams as an undrafted free agent in 1981. His pro career spanned 11 NFL seasons playing for the Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, and Philadelphia Eagles. Jeff is also an accomplished speaker and published author, having written Facing the Blitz, Three Strategies for Turning Trials into Triumphs, as well as a loving husband and father. So Jeff, we're really pleased to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for taking the time uh, to be with us. You're welcome. Good to be with you, John. I wanted to give you a chance to start with a little background discussion, even if you want to start, you know, even before high school, maybe a little youth sports and okay. kind of talk about that growing up in a football family and, and you know, obviously it, that influence that uh, watching your dad play had on yours and Jimmy's lives. Yeah, well, dad playing definitely had a huge influence because I grew up thinking I want to do what my dad did. My dad played football, so I wanted to be a quarterback, too. I didn't know it was a hard job to get. Um, and I was very much of a late bloomer, so I didn't have early success. It was a, a dream that was... Um, sticking with me, but not looking super uh, likely through most of my uh, high school years, even college years. But going back, it was my dad that taught me to throw the football. Uh, I played football in the backyard with my friends. I absolutely loved the game. Dad and I had a lot of fun uh, tossing the ball, but he wasn't an intense, intense coach trying to groom me into being some future scholarship earner. Um, it wasn't like that, but we did love throwing the ball and hanging out. He taught me to ski, taught me to play football. Um, and then uh, I didn't play organized football till seventh grade and I couldn't be the quarterback. Uh, we didn't win any games. Uh, I quit in eighth grade cause I couldn't be the quarterback again. Someone else, the coach's son was, and, uh, I made up an excuse that I wanted to focus on my studies, which my folks I'm sure saw right through. It was mainly I was insecure and I was upset that I couldn't be the quarterback. And so I skipped a year, came back in ninth grade, played youth football. I wasn't a big guy, but we had a really good team and it, we won a championship and had a good coach who uh, totally uh, did football the right way, Bill Hart. And uh, man, we just rallied, loved it, had a great time, worked hard, developed everyone's skills and uh, I got a good taste for football that year, but then it was back to the bench in high school for two more years, um, a backup, a third stringer, my junior year. Not exactly what you predict when you're going to end up in the NFL. Um, so I was really very much of a late bloomer. And then we had a good team my senior year, won a, won a state championship, um, a really good hard-nosed coach, Fred Shepard. Uh, we didn't pass much. I would have loved to have passed way more. Uh, but at least I learned to be tough and run the ball, and that helped in college. I went to Dartmouth, and uh, Joe Yukika was a good coach. Uh, we had a not-so-good freshman coach, and uh, some guys quit. That was a shame. Um, just a hard-nosed guy that didn't know how to um, relate to the guys. I, and nothing wrong with working guys hard, but you got to relate to the players, especially these days. Um, and then I got to start for my final two years, um, and it was a little bit of a, you know, late blooming success, but, uh, 
I wasn't a star. I got rec recruited. They watched one game, the Rams did, that I ever played. And it was my best game ever where David Shula, Don's son, and my best friend in college, he caught every pass I threw, made me look good. And uh, so that's how I got to sign a free agent contract with the Rams. And uh, I kind of made a, a shift in gears from being a insecure, self-centered, want to be a success, please everyone, follow the crowd, party with the guys during the offseason, uh, be intense with the football guys during the season, um, with a Christian belief in my background, but it wasn't really a part of my life. It was more in my head. I, I made a big change at the end of college when I realized I'm successful finally. I'm popular finally. My acne's cleared up. The girls like me. I have fraternity brothers. I've got a contract to play in the NFL. I got a good degree from Dartmouth, uh, but I'm empty inside. And uh, that's when I decided that Jeff Kemp wasn't as good a purpose as Jesus. And I made a shift, started pursuing my relationship with God, went to the Rams and uh, beat the 50 to one odds, made the team. Um, my wife was praying for me because she'd seen an article in the paper that uh, I had faith in God and she just wanted to encourage me and she was praying for me. We ended up meeting on a blind date um, and got married after my second season and had quite a journey through the NFL with great teammates, some great coaches, a few that weren't so great um, and uh, amazing experiences. I just learned so much and grew a lot as a, uh, a Christian as a man, eventually as a husband, I don't think I started off all that good of, as a husband, but that I don't became, know that any of us really do. <laughs> and that became an area where I needed so much help that I ended up helping others as my wife and I did on our team and neighborhood and uh, church. And then I got into marriage and family, um, nonprofit and ministry work when I left football. So that's kind of the story. I'm going to come back and touch on a few pieces of that because when I was on active duty, I worked very hard on what I call creating margin, which it was very important to me because I saw so many people in the military and for that matter, in professional life, fail uh, fathers specifically fail to spend quality time with their children because they were pursuing a career, regardless of what it was. And the military tends to do that to a lot of people, unfortunately, because the old expression is, hey, you know, if, if you needed a wife, the army would issue you one. Um, yeah. It's neat that the. Uh, the life change that you went through brought you into that realm, not only from a standpoint of Christian beliefs and obviously pursuing that relationship with God, but also, uh, you know, the, the, the genesis of you getting into football with your father, you know, yeah. you, and then I'm sure, you know, with your four boys, you've probably done some of that as well, whether it's been football or other things um, in life. And, and I know that uh, that's always been important for me. I want well, let, to me, let, me let me jump in and talk yeah, about please. margin for a minute. Okay. My okay. dad's life seemingly didn't have any margin. He was traveling, speaking, right, uh, you know, writing books, uh, running for office, um, doing big things all the time. But he would always insist that whoever had him speak had to fly him home to get home for his son's football games. And awesome. uh, my daughter, my, my sister's tennis match. Um, I think he, he prioritized football over tennis a little bit, uh, but he made sure that you get home. Secondly, he made sure that we had dinner together as a family, even if it was late. He made sure that uh, mom kept us up and we'd have dinner as a family. He'd include his, his, you know, political and economic and athletic friends who'd come home for dinner, include us kids in the conversation. So in a way, dad created a margin that made sure he connected with his kids, that he was at their games. And then he always took us on a, a summer vacation 
uh, to the beach and a winter vacation to ski. So we did have a legacy of having that connection with our dad, even though he was super duper busy. Um, and that is something I've carried forward with my wife, that connection with our kids. And I was asked to run for Congress once. I asked the congressman in Seattle why, who he wasn't going to run. He said he had a three-year-old son and he wanted to spend more time with him. So he was making a good margin choice like you did. And I said, well, you can multiply your, your reason times three. I got three sons at this point. And I knew that I didn't want the lifestyle my dad had because he couldn't coach my sports. He couldn't be at practice. He didn't get home from dinner till you know, eight o'clock. Uh, I wanted to be there through all of that. And I, with Stacy's help, was able to coach all my boys, soccer and t-ball and baseball and uh, football, football, football. We had an awful lot of football. I took him skiing locally up in Seattle a lot. And then, you know, we made ski vacations, kind of our family um, reunion with my dad's help for many years, but we still do that. So that margin, uh, I, I think people need to think, uh, choose margin for the people that matter the most to you. And particularly the people that will only be with you for a while. And that's your kids, right? They're only with you for a season. So create margin, focus on that time. And I believe if you play a lot as a family, if you play a lot with your kids, you'll kind of win their heart and then they will copy your values. But if you preach all the time, but you don't have their heart and you're not around them uh, and don't play and laugh and have fun, they're not as likely to pursue or adopt your values. And that's hard in a culture where the values are so mixed up. I agree. And I can remember even being deployed to Haiti one time, I had to fly to the Pentagon to do a briefing and I was coming through Norfolk, Virginia on the way back. And my wife and I arranged, she, she basically fibbed to the kids and said she was taking them to a, uh, a strip mall to do some shopping, an outlet mall. And we surprised them. I got adjoining rooms in a, in a hotel. And on my one night going back from the Pentagon back to Haiti, um, we surprised them and I showed up. And even though oh, that's those, awesome, you know, those little types of things. Um, yeah, that's a big thing. That little thing was a big thing. Exactly. And I know reading your book, there were many lessons that you talked about in the book that I thought were very poignant along those same lines as far as some of the things that people could learn and employ. Let me go back real quick in terms of, and I'm not going to focus on a specific time, but you've talked about um, several different points in, in your high school career, as well as at Dartmouth, where you started out, uh, you know, as, as a backup. And then ultimately, you know, when you got into the NFL, spending a lot of your career in one time at one time or another, certainly making a bunch of starts, but spending the majority of your career as a backup. How did those early experiences struggling to some extent until, as you said, becoming, a, you know, kind of a late bloomer, prepare you for the struggles, ultimately the blitzes that you encountered in your 11 year NFL career? Well, uh, to summarize, I, I, I was a starting quarterback one time out of 20 football seasons in my life going into the season. And therefore, to keep the vision alive, to keep the hope alive, to keep the drive alive, there had to be a really strong vision and a very optimistic hope that my day would come and that I would get to play and that I would finally be good and get to be on the team and, and, and be the quarterback and, 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 and do what I was made to do. And my dad was that voice. Um, 
fathers and mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, uh, coaches even, need to be that voice of long-term hope, long-term encouragement, long-term vision in the lives of athletes and particularly our kids. My dad would say, hey, Jeff, your day's going to come. Uh, I believe in you. Think like a starter. Uh, work hard. Uh, it's going to happen. Um, I believe in you. One, one day he said, hey, I saw you today. You look great. I said, Dad, I didn't even get in the game. And I was all frustrated. He said, oh, I know. I saw you warming up. You're really throwing well. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. But my dad painted a picture that my day would come, that perseverance paid off. He quoted Winston Churchill to me all the time, never give in, never give in, never give in. And, and so I had that perspective, okay? Um, it might have been a little bit too much of a performance orientation to his encouragement versus a character orientation right? Um, selfless, uh, persevering, kind, generous, integrity. Those things are the most important to define and encourage in our kids. But my dad did define me as a leader. He said, you're a Kent, be a leader. You're a Kent, be a leader. I believe in you. Your day is going to come. So that encouragement played a big role. And the, probably the number one lesson that comes from all those things I went through of being a backup and being overlooked and starting slow and being a late bloomer, um, making the team and then taking the team to playoffs and then getting traded and then playing well for Joe Montana. And then they wanted Steve Young and they traded me. Um, then being stuck on the bench in Seattle for a while. All of that came down to perseverance, uh, to stick to a long-term perspective and do the hard work now and not be discouraged by the momentary circumstances, all right? And, and we live in a consumer society, an instant society that isn't sending that message when you can grab your phone and get anything you want right now with your credit card. Um, and that isn't the way that a farmer grows things. That's not how a battle or a war is won. That isn't how a family is built. That's not how an entrepreneur succeeds. That's not how a marriage is built with just an instant of falling in love and passion. No, anything good takes a long time. It takes perseverance. Sports teaches that. Football in phenomenal ways teaches that. There's people called linemen that don't get their name in the paper and don't get recognized and they get all bloody and bruised, but they're paving the way for team success. And they're the real stars and a good quarterback and a good running back um, praises them and thanks them as does the coach. Uh, so perseverance is probably the main thing and the encouragement and vision that my dad gave me that I have made it a point to bring to my sons. A lot of them would joke and say, dad, you thought I should go to the NFL. I didn't have a chance to go to the NFL. I just thought, Hey, if I could go there, they could, I wasn't pushing them to go there. I was just telling them, you know, be your best. I'm so proud of you. Um, but you got to be careful not to push performance or they'll build their identity around performance and eventually performance goes away and then you lose your identity. We need to build character and plant positive vision about our kids' character and where they're going. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's um, hard as a, co a youth coach to not let your competitiveness influence um, the way you coach too much. And obviously if you're too competitive, your kid's experience is going to be worse than it should have been. Right. Sure. Um, so I can't, it probably helped me that I'd played pro football. I'd gotten all my sports dreams, um, out of me and I was pretty much coaching for the fun of it. Um, I was super competitive trying to come up with cool plays and find ways to get the kids to, to succeed. But 
if we won or lost, it was no big deal. Um, you know, to me, I knew it mattered to them and obviously I wanted to win, but you can't wrap up your identity, your ego, uh, your, your mood. Uh, am I going to be happy or not? Or your competitiveness in youth sports that will damage the relationship with your kids and the other kids. And that's important. Well, I know one thing that I always taught was respect for the officials, respect for the other parents and respect for your opponent. And, and when you do all of those things and you really do hold them interested, it doesn't mean you can't compete. It doesn't mean you don't get upset when things don't go your way, but it's, you know, it's how you overcome that, that, uh, that turmoil in the game or after the game. It's how you rebound. It's how you rebound from a disappointment. How do you think your football journey uh, prepared you more for st- when you stepped away from the game, influence your personal life? Well, the insecurity of the NFL starting off as a free agent who wasn't, you know, at all likely to meet the team. And then I had to get my job back every summer. Um, and they're always trading or drafting and bringing someone in to compete with you. And um, then getting traded, you know, even after you played well for both the Rams and the, uh, the Niners, those things taught me not to put my security in my team, my contract, uh, my public persona, my stats. Um, I wasn't a quarterback who was a husband to Stacy and a Christian. Uh, I was a, a son of God, uh, a follower of Jesus, married to Stacy with eventually relationships to little boys, my sons. Um, that was my identity, you know. And then the football thing was the role I had and a secure identity in Christ let me work really hard to be my best, like as if I'm pleasing God, but not panic when it didn't go well. So that was really helpful um, to have my identity rooted in my relationship with God. And secondly, to know that, hey, insecurity in life circumstances is common. Um, and everyone's struggling with insecurity. And one of the keys to overcoming insecurity is helping them with their identity. And moms and dads, the quality of their marriage, or if they're divorced, the quality of the relationship they have with each other in a civil and kind way, teaming up to still raise the kids well. And the quality of their relationship with their kids, saying, I believe in you, you have what it takes, you know, I'm proud of you. Um, there's, there's some amazing characteristics in you, or sweetie, you're amazingly talented and valuable, and you've got such a personality that touches people. Uh, your beauty is inside and out. Uh, don't ever let anyone tell you you're anything other than a treasure. Um, when, when a dad says that to a daughter or a son, um, obviously the appropriate language, uh, you're building their identity and their security and their ability to withstand life's blitzes to withstand disappointments, to get cut, uh, to lose something that they really wanted, um, to face an illness, okay, Um, and to persevere towards the future. So I think that the difficulties, the hardship, the insecurities of sports helped me to get a vision that was bigger than achievement in football. I wanted to help people, and I wanted to make sure kids were more secure. And that's why I invested so much in strengthening marriages and strengthening fatherhood and manhood, which is where my heavy focus is today. Uh, Building men through identity, uh, close friendships and huddles where they meet with friends to grow um, and understanding their purpose to use their strength to make life better for others, both in marriage and fathering, grandfathering at work uh, in the community. 
That's awesome. You know, I see a lot of the identity piece happening with guys who retire from the military. When you spend yes. 20 to 30 years in the Army or in any of the services, my experience was in the Army, and your entire identity is connected to being a soldier or sailor, airman, marine, whatever. Um, and then you retire if you don't have something to fall back on it. And it's it's kind of debilitating sometimes. And I've had discussions with people and I've, I've made it clear and it's, it's opened a few eyes. I said, I would prefer as, as a retired 23 year veteran who retired as a Lieutenant Colonel, I would prefer to be called coach in most cases than I would Colonel, even though I know people do it respectfully. And I appreciate yeah. that. Um, my identity is not tied to my army career and, and so much of, of what I did uh, building relationships while I was in the military and learning as a man, as a leader uh, it was, was born out of what I went through playing football up through college. And then now I've reversed it and I'm using all of those lessons learned to get back into the game. I love so much and try and carry on that, that piece of it, teaching yeah. character and, and those kind of things. I wore, I wore, I wore four different uniforms in the NFL and uh, obviously I didn't change because I switched from a Niner to a Seahawk uniform and then when I lost my uniform and they said, you can't wear this anymore, you can't be on this field, uh, I didn't lose my identity. Uh, and a military man or woman who has their identity wrapped up in that uniform uh, faces a significant challenge. And it really helps to develop your identity and relationships apart from that. But secondly, the challenge military uh, people have is they have such a compelling, important, big mission. And when they leave the military, that mission is gone. And a lot of us, uh, we really build ourselves around what our mission is, okay? Not just the uniform, but the mission. And that's a noble and good thing. I appreciate that. I honor you and everyone in our military, firefighters, uh, police persons. But I think people need to rem remember, when you leave the military, the brokenness and the dysfunction and the battle and the war, if you will, for human beings to get along, to build their families, to shape the character of young kids, to protect women from sex trafficking, uh, to protect young boys from getting into uh, drugs and addictions and bad behavior. Um, there's a big mission there, you know? There are a ton of big missions for military people to reapply themselves to when they come out. First mission, find out how to totally love one woman. Get to know her, drop your guard, open up your emotions, go to counseling, get help with that PTSD. Open up those things you shut down for so long called emotions. Uh, and then really love and add value to your kids and build their identity, their confidence, their vision, right? Coach them. Absolutely. And cheer for them. Because a lot of kids feel like they, they don't, we don't love them, love them unless they play the way we want them to play. And we got to really work hard to not give that impression. Make sure the, the drive home in the car with dad is enjoyable. Because for a lot of athletes, that's the least enjoyable time of the whole athletic day. Exactly. So, but the, the military guy can get a mission, A, with their wife, B, with their kids, and C, to make the world a better place. And I'd like to pick a company, for example, that really does its mission well, or a cause that does uh, something to make the world better. But we need military people to reapply themselves that way. I agree. The context of Facing the Blitz, and for people that have not read it or maybe don't know the title uh, it talks about three strategies for turning trials into triumphs. And those three strategies are take the long-term view, 
be willing to change and reach out to others. And I think that you you touched on a couple of those just a second ago, but I'd like to kind of jump into that a little bit. In terms of the three strategies, um, I wanted to give you the floor for a second and kind of talk a little bit about that. Not so much to promote the book as much as that lifestyle. No, yeah. You know, I, well, I'm a coach, you're a coach, so I'll just take a moment and and coach the message of the Blitz. Uh, every person listening to this podcast uh, faces things that they didn't want to have happen. Uh, surprises, curveballs, negatives, bad doctor's reports, uh, economic downturns, getting fired, cancer, loss of a loved one. Um, those are blitzes. In football, the blitz is actually an opportunity because there's man-to-man coverage, no free safety. Drew Brees steps up in the pocket, gets rid of the ball quicker, changes his drop back, changes the route. Receiver goes somewhere different. People sacrifice. Maybe Drew gets hit in the jaw, but the ball's gone. Touchdown. Blitz turns into touchdown. Um, not every time, but many times if you're ready for it and you're prepared for it. In life, we don't prepare for them. We don't expect them. We hope they don't happen. But the reality is you got to expect the blitz. And so if you keep a long-term view that I'm not just living for this moment, I'm not going to feel like a victim. I'm going to say, what can I learn in this? How can I get better? What will come out of this where I can help others? Or how can I change gears to make my life positive in the future? Because I'm going through this tough thing. Um, And I, you know, I'm a, a believer in Jesus who thinks that I'm a soul, not just a body. And when this body dies, I'm going to go be with God and he's going to give me a new one and I'll live forever. I don't know how to explain what it's going to be, but it'll be better than here if he's a good God. So I have that long-term view. That helps me face my blitzes. So number one, when something tough happens, don't just look at this. Oh, this is the worst weekend, the worst moment in my life. This is just a snapshot. You need to play the whole movie out. Number two, um, you got to humble yourself. Because pride is the beginning of everything bad. Everything bad in the world is pride, arrogance, um, saying I'm better than someone else. I deserve more than someone else. I need the attention. I don't need anyone's help. I'm not going to ask for anyone to assist me. I'm more important than them. Pride is the problem. Humility is seeing yourself accurately, just like God sees you. Hey, you're, you're special, you're valuable, you're awesome, but you got some huge flaws. And you have a lot of gaps and weaknesses. And you should see others as very important and aim to serve them, prioritize them, care for them, not treat yourself like you're better. Okay, Dr. King was humble. Abraham Lincoln was humble. Okay, we just saw the, 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 the movie on Harriet Tubman. She was courageous and studly, but she was humble. She asked God for help. Okay, so number two is be willing to change. Get humble. Do something different. If it's not working for you, Dr. Phil says, try something different. And so do NFL coaches. Um, So learn a lesson, change your character, try a different thing, uh, shift gears. And number three is the best way to turn blitzes into blessings is to start blessing other people. Take your focus off yourself as a little pity party and look around and encourage others. The cancer patient could be the, the, the source of sunshine and encouragement in the hospital. You know, the guy who, who, whose company failed, he can still give 20 bucks to a homeless guy um, and bless that guy's day and it'd help him get through his blitz faster of losing his company, all right? So long-term view, willingness to humble yourself and change and put others ahead of yourself and aim to bless them. Treat them well like you did in your Uber car and you feel better about yourself, right? You became a better person doing that. That's how we get through blitzes. But I will remind people, you don't get through them alone. Football teams don't beat blitzes alone. You have a coach. You have a team. You lean on each other. You support each other. That's 
when you need a, a, a team and when you need to be a team to other people when blitzes are going on. So that's the key to facing blitzes. And Jesus, who I think is the greatest role model ever, actually went through a blitz of getting rejected and crucified when everyone thought he was supposed to be a conquering hero, but he did it on purpose saying, I'd rather not do this, but God, if this is the only way to save everyone, I'll do this. Your will, not mine. He went through a blitz, got abandoned, forgotten, left, buried, turned it around three days later. It's the greatest victory in history. So if that is the way God had to operate, I'd imagine we imperfect people need to face blitzes as well. Absolutely. I, I, I love the, uh, the simplicity of the message, despite how complex people may interpret their blitzes to be. Uh, I know a phrase that I used to use with my kids all the time. Uh, my daughter, who is a very anxious person by nature anyway, and I would always say, you know, whenever they would have a crisis, uh, generally the first words out of my mouth were, look, nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems when it happens. Oh, true. You've got to be able to step back from everything, even if it's an emergency. And it seems like, you know, it's, you know, obviously you don't want to stand there if it's life threatening, but very few things in life uh, cannot be dealt with if you can muster the right perspective. Can I step in there? Because as parents, my wife and I are both um, fairly strong, optimistic, um, biblical people with a long-term perspective that know exactly what you said, that things aren't automatically, you know, the sky is falling, worst thing ever, uh, something good can come of it, let it play out. But we jumped too quickly sometimes when our kids were in a tough spot, something negative happened. We jumped too quickly to encouragement and long-term vision and kind of coaching them on the right attitude instead of doing something that every human being needs done, particularly children validate their emotions to show them you care and you feel it with them. And then after they know you care and you validated them, then you can move them on to the intellectual perspective, the coaching perspective. So I think we, we looking back probably would have been a, a little more like, Oh, I'm so sorry that you broke your you know shoulder this year and are going to have to miss the whole season. You were you worked so hard. This means so much to you. I can't imagine how much that, that hurts. That must really be tough. And then the kid says, yeah, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. And then you say, man, I'm, I'm going to be you know praying for you and um, encouraging you along the way. I want to remind you that some of my best lessons of life have come where something bad happened, and God taught me something good and I persevered and I came back and it's how you rebound that matters, not whether you missed the first shot. But I'm not going to go to that message right off the bat. I might as a football coach, you know, in the heat of the battle, but as a parent, I'm going to validate emotions first, which gives me a better chance to guide them on to the attitude you and I both uh, believe in. Long-term, optimistic, it's what you make of it, it's how you get up and how you rebound more so than whether you fell that makes the difference in life. I agree. And I think that too often, uh, and, and you know, the, the sad, one of the reasons that I want to reach younger parents with this and why I believe sports is such a powerful platform is because oftentimes I know as a young adult and a young parent specifically, uh, when I was under pressure, when I was stressed, uh, I would not take, and in fact, I took maybe what would be considered the opposite approach of what you just said. I would let my emotions get in the way first. I would react to my child's event 
Um, certainly not meaning I didn't show sorrow or or empathy when they were hurt or, or sympathy when they were hurt. But I, I might, if it was something other than a you know an injury, I might react in a way that showed that I was not uh, fully engaged. I was not, even though I, I may have been expressing myself, I wasn't present in that moment and, yeah. and thoughtful about my response and how I dealt with them. And I think that that's why sports is such a phenomenal platform for us to teach kids grit, perseverance, understanding, sportsmanship, uh, all of those things that contribute to character. Because I believe that, you know, the pressure in sports and life doesn't, it does have the effect of building character, but I think it also reveals character. And, yeah, you know, sports teaches responsibility, right? You sure. either catch the pass or you don't. You make the block or you don't. Um, you did the assignment or you didn't. Um, that's important. Your team, there's a lot of people counting on you. Peyton Manning told an NFL team this summer, hey, be a good teammate. Well, that seems like a dumb message, right? And then he said, there's a lot of people counting on you. Be a good teammate. So that basically says be responsible and be considerate of those around you by giving your best and being dependable. Now, you and I both told stories about when we blew it as parents. Sports offers coaches and players, but coaches need to do this first, the chance to make a lot of mistakes. You lose your temper. You complain at a ref's call. Uh, you, you yell at a kid, okay? Um, you get too wound up about a loss, and you go in the tank on the bus ride back, and the kids are looking at the coach like, what's up with him? You know what you can do the next day? You can apologize. Your apology will be worth more than had you never messed up because they never see men or leaders humble themselves, apologize, repent, go a different direction, and self-correct. And that is the biggest lesson we could ever teach them, humility that reconciles by taking responsibility and apologizing. How's a marriage going to make it if a guy doesn't learn to apologize? <laughs> you know? Very and we, we dads don't apologize to our kids enough. We think oh, they'll stop respecting me. Totally contrary to that, they will respect you more if you tell them, hey, I haven't done this before. I, I just messed up again. Will you please forgive me? Uh, I'm doing the best I can, but it hadn't been that good lately. Uh, let me know if I'm being an overpressive, obnoxious dad or coach, and I, I'd love to hear your input. But I apologize. Will you forgive me? You just now showed more strength, more character teaching than the dad that never made a mistake, but also never apologizes. It's a it's learning process. Lifelong learning process, exactly. And, and I'll tell you, I, it, it's interesting that you bring that, that juxtaposition between looking at weakness versus humility and the strength of humility. Too many men believe that that, that shows weakness and not strength. And I think that uh, I, I had a situation one time where I actually drew a an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty during a 10 to 12 year old youth football game as a coach, and I called all <laughs> the play, all the players and parents over after the game, and I had all these kids sit down, and I gave everybody a chance to settle down, and I said, guys, I owe everybody here a huge apology. I said I did not set the example. I pride myself on trying to set as a coach and and as a fellow parent, uh, yeah. and and you know and and interestingly enough. Probably three years ago, one of those kids, I keep in touch with a lot of the kids I coach. They're now young adults. Many have families. One of those kids brought up that moment. And that, was one of your, that was one of your greatest coaching moments, and it's a perfect picture of the Blitz. It started bad because of your character and doing something dumb, and then you thought long-term, I got to repair this. 
you humbled yourself and were willing to do something different, apologize. And then you thought about them and you brought them together and you made the apology at the risk of vulnerability to yourself. You turned a bad thing into a great thing. You turned that blitz into a touchdown, if you will. That's, that's my message to, to husbands. Hey, we mess up. We forget so many things that are important to our wives. Apologize. Ask for forgiveness. Okay? Same with our kids. Apologize to your kids. A CEO who apologizes and takes responsibility shows greater leadership than other ones. Like the dude that ran uh, Domino's Pizza. He said, you know what? Our pizza tastes like cardboard. We just figured it out. You, you, you customers have told us we're sorry. We're going to change it. We've been working on it. That became their advertising campaign. They did fix their pizza and their company started to boom again because of humility and turning a blitz around. Very true. Very true. Let me uh, transition into kind of something to uh, encapsulate all this here toward the end of our conversation and uh, allow you to speak as well. In terms of the message, uh, whether it be to husbands and wives, parents in general, or men specifically, you said your focus recently had been reaching out to men. What type of uh, message might you want to share in terms of any either philanthropic efforts, any foundations, organizations you're working with right now um, that you feel are important, or just the message in general to getting this revival of men started uh, in our nation? Revival of men. It's amazing that you just said that. That's an answer to prayer to me, because for the last two weeks, I've been praying that God would do some amazing things that are impossible, apart from his hand, to revive manhood and fatherhood. those two things are eroding and under attack and very missing in our culture. So here, to answer your question, first of all, I, I would ask anyone who is a praying person, or if you're not but like praying, just ask God to turn around our country and to turn around the state of manhood and fatherhood. Uh, secondly, look at yourself. Uh, every one of us men, look at yourself, examine yourself, do an x-ray on your character, and find out how selfish are you, how egotistical are you, How much are you wrapping your identity up in uh, your uniform, your performance, your stats, your money, your credentials versus your relationship with God who loves you totally, even though people don't see God accurately, and your relationship with people, right? That's your identity, husband, dad, friend. Um, So examine yourself. And if you find any areas that are hurting, go apologize to folks. Um, It'll build a stronger relationship. And then get intentional. Um, as men, get intentional to focus on the most important relationships of your marriage and your kids. But beyond that, I remind men, we love friendships. We had them in the army. We had them on football teams. We had them in junior high. And then we get so busy, we don't have much room for friendships anymore. Uh, I think we do need and deserve friendships. But I think friendship is something that is mutually encouraging to become a better man, not just someone to blow off steam with and watch a game with or play a video game with or drink a beer with, but never do you tell each other the most important things going on in your life or ask for help. So I would say to men, make two closest friends and tell your story to them and invite them to tell you their life story. And then start meeting every week or calling each other on the week, on the, on the phone every week and, and ask the other guy, Hey, what's the most important thing you want to talk about? How can I support you? If you're a believer in God, Ask them how you can pray for them, all right? That's what I do with my huddle. Uh, Beyond that, John, you're 60, I'm 60. Dudes, you know, in our 50s and 60s and 70s, we need to go look for the young men and hang out with them like you are at the gym, coffee shop, um, 
in the marketplace, invite them to lunch, invite them to coffee. If you play golf or ride a bike uh, or hike, invite them to do that with you. Have them to your house for dinner, okay? Go to their turf. But build a friendship with someone of a different generation, same thing. Ask their story and tell them your story first, probably. They don't want to hear your lessons, your, your advice. They want to hear what was life like for you. And then all of a sudden, we're going to start help mentoring these younger men into what real manhood is, what marriage is, what masculinity is, not machismo, but masculinity like Jesus, strong, courageous, integrity, always for the benefit of others. And, and we need those friendships intergenerationally. So that, that's how things will move. Uh, people can go to the Fatherhood Commission, fatherhoodcommission.org, a place where I'm an ambassador, and they can find great resourcing across the country, fatherhoodcommission.org. Uh, you can take your your uh, husband or wife uh, to a, a weekend to, to remember getaway for your marriage or give a uh, gift certificate to some young couple or your children that are married. And, and you can find that at familylife.com. Um, my wife and I speak for the Family Life Weekend to Remember, uh, familylife.com, and look for the Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaways. Um, and uh, I just say on, on the better Better Men front, um, there's also a really cool new uh, program called Better Man that you can find on the website. Uh, it's just starting and it'll grow. But the main thing is friendships, weekly huddles with other guys where you talk about your life, tell your story, and what's most important, okay? Intergenerational friendships, which we need to initiate, guys my age. Um, and, and if you want to find out what I'm up to, my website is uh, jeffkempteam.com. Com. I speak to men's conferences, men's retreats, uh, leadership teams, help CEOs get their marriage and their parenting on track, as well as their team building, which comes from humility. Um, so that, that's where I am at jeffkempteam.com. And of course, there's a website for the book, facingtheblitz.com. It has a free uh, group discussion guide that if you want to watch little one minute videos for six weeks or 12 weeks and, and, and have a PDF guide you through conversations, uh, I think you'll find it real practical and helpful to form a, a, a huddle with some other guys around it. Absolutely. I want to finish up, Jeff, with something I call the two-minute drill. It's simply a uh, uh, about six or eight uh, kind of unrelated questions. I, I like to do right. it to each of the interviewees to kind of get a perspective on um, – you know, where they came from and, and what they like to do in and around, given the fact that football is kind of a common theme. Uh, first and foremost, uh, if you have a single favorite memory that it was one of your favorite sports memories as a kid. Favorite sports moments would be skiing with my dad on our vacations uh, and skiing some big jumps that uh, impressed my sisters and my little <laughs> brother and my dad. I had a lot of vanity in me. But if you go to football, it would be uh, the ninth grade uh, team victory for the Super Bowl uh, that we played in. Awesome. What about at, uh, at Dartmouth? Do you have a, uh, a, a college game or play that sticks out in your mind that's kind of one of your favorites? Uh, the Brown game. We came from two, two and a half touchdowns behind, and Dave Shula caught a bunch of touchdowns, a two-point conversion, and we came from behind and beat them. Turned out that game was scouted by the Colts and the Rams. He got to go to the Colts, made the team. I got to go to the Rams and made the team. So a couple miracles there, and I owe a lot to Dave Shula for catching all those less than perfectly accurate passes. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I love the example you gave in the book of how 
you know, the quarterback's got to refine his ability to throw into a very tiny window. And you see that so much more with some of these guys nowadays, Drew Brees being one. Drew Brees, every pass the other night was in a one foot diameter of accuracy, even if he's getting hit in the face, that's holding yourself to a high standard to serve and invest in others, which leads to success for everyone else. That's the key to marriage, fathering, leadership, um, building teams, coaching. You serve people better than you expect them to serve you. Absolutely. If you have one, uh, only one, uh, off the four teams you played with, greatest uh, NFL teammate? Steve Largent and Reggie White. But I could throw some more guys in there that you might not uh, think are as famous. Uh, Eugene Robinson was a fabulous, fabulous teammate. Um, a wonderful man is George Andrews of the LA Rams, Jackie Slater. But uh, to play with Jerry Rice and Steve Largent and Reggie White, I got to say Reggie was such a giant mountain of love and generosity and encouragement and spiritual strength. And everyone liked him. Uh, he was pretty amazing. That's cool. Favorite non-football activity nowadays? Uh, skiing, if it's with my family or if it's with a group of men for the purpose of helping them bond and figure out why transparent, vulnerable, uh, God-centered friendship is so important. And I do that. I put together men's huddles, take guys skiing to Montana, and we have four nights of dinner and long conversations afterwards, great chairlift rides, a little inspiration in the morning, uh, tons of adrenaline during the day skiing. But I do not want to do anything, John, um, fun in life if there isn't a uh, redemptive purpose to it, meaning it helps us grow closer to God vertically and closer to other people horizontally in relationship, and it improves our character. So that's what I love to do, ski with a group of guys and help develop our uh, character, our identity, make us into better husbands and dads and leaders. That's awesome. Favorite movie, if you have one? You a movie guy at all? Yeah, Chariots of Fire. That's going away a long way back. Eric Liddell, uh, the Olympics in the 20s. Uh, he stuck to his convictions, chose not to run the race on Sunday. Another guy swapped with him, and he still won a different uh, race. I think it was the 200 meters instead of the 100. Uh, but Eric said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. I think God made us for joy and pleasure. He gave us gifts. We don't have to sit in church uh, and act like prissy people. Um, church is a great place if it's vibrant and talking about God, but we're meant to live with joy. But make sure you remember, God gave you the body. He gave you the brain. He gave us this world. So be humble and be grateful about it. So that's my favorite movie. What about when nobody's looking, favorite snack food? Oh, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, coffee, coffee, buzz, buzz, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It's very strong coffee flavor with some killer chocolate in it. Now, are you a guy who has to have a cup to get up in the morning? You have a cup of hot coffee in the morning when you first never drank coffee for 40, let's see, 53 years of my life till I moved to Little Rock. So I lived in Seattle. I never drank coffee. And <laughs> get that. And moved to Little Rock, Arkansas and started drinking coffee. I don't have to have it, but I like it. Um, and every now and then I'll stop, but no, it's not, it's not an essential part of my life, but I do enjoy a good cup of coffee. I, I definitely can empathize on the ice cream part because I, I've had to, uh, I've had to rein myself in a little bit because I'm an ice cream fanatic. So but I will say this, uh, my wife had a, a, a surgery a while back and, uh, it kind of changed her system and she got us on a new whole 30 
reset to the way we eat to get chemicals and sugar and gluten and dairy um, out of our diet and just eat, you know, real animal food and plant food and fruit and veggies. And uh, it took some work, but we did it for 30 days straight and dramatically changed um, both of our health, our sleep. Um, I don't take a leave for these artificial hips uh, or my sore joints anymore. So some, cutting out that stuff and eating better and not eating ice cream very often, um, cutting out sugar has made a huge difference. Plus, we both lost 20 pounds. I wasn't even trying to lose weight, but I did. So I would say to Americans, uh, take care of yourself, you know, and uh, you might want to look at the whole 30 and reset your habits because we've been trained to eat bad and then we use medicine uh, and we never get as healthy as we should be. I agree with you there a million percent. I, my wife and I have done this, a similar approach, different kind of dietary uh, constrictions, but we, uh, we haven't really cut out anything. We've kind of taken an approach of everything in moderation and with a, a natural supplement, a good uh, workout routine, and then really just watching what we eat. I mean, eat healthy. we tease each other saying we're cheap dates now, because when we go out, we buy one entree and split it. And you know, it's, 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 uh, it's easier to walk away, not feeling bloated and everything. Well, that, so. that said, we're going to our favorite Italian restaurant tonight, and I'm going to have a huge helping of lasagna by myself. And she, <laughs> she probably well, too. So, That's uh, awesome. Hey, Jeff, I tell you, I, uh, one, I really appreciate you've honored us with uh, being a guest today. And uh, I certainly have enjoyed the conversation, enjoy getting to know you a little better uh, and, and look forward to being able to uh, develop the relationship as well. Uh, hopefully support each other and, and um, you know, grow in some of those organizations you were talking about before we uh, came on. Yeah, I, I, let, me, if you don't let me finish. I'll just say sure, you can hit me at the fatherhoodcommission.com, family life for marriage and parenting, familylife.com. And uh, you and I want to see football, one of the greatest sports in the history of the world that teaches so much character, make uh, a recovery uh, in terms of youth sports where some moms are afraid of it and concussions have scared some of us. My friend Darren Sidabaka has a foundation, onehitaway.com, onehitaway, and they are publicizing all the ways to heal the brain, which we think teams and doctors need to publicize because there's a lot of improvements there that can help us make the game safer, just like the coaches at Dartmouth are getting rid of tackling in practice to make it safer. There's healing. So one hit away, uh, I believe in football. We can make it safer, and it's a great way to shape kids' character. And I, I agree with you 100%. When we put the podcast out, we'll uh, reference all these websites you mentioned in the description so that folks can get to those. Uh, and I just want to thank you again, not only for – for sharing uh, your thoughtful uh, shift in terms of focus that you learned through your football career into your life and not only uh, sharing them here, but in your book and, and as well being able to, uh, you know, use your, uh, your platform on those different websites and the speaking tours and stuff that you do to, to share. And, and I will certainly get on board and uh, am a big believer in this, uh, you know, revival of men. Okay, John, thank you. Thanks very much, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. <laughs> yeah, you too. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Please be sure to save this episode to your favorites and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, remember, whatever you do in football, do it for the good of the game.